Before we begin, I want to thank the sponsor of Oil & Gas Upstream, Oliva Gibbs. Oliva Gibbs provides clear legal solutions to complex oil, gas, and mineral law issues nationwide. We believe that when we focus on serving people, good things happen in the lives of our clients and employees. We just happen to be a law firm. Learn more at oglawyers.com. Oil and gas production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Melkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for Oil and Gas Upstream Research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from the DOE, founded a small consultancy, and became a podcast host. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a big favor by answering a one-question survey. It takes about 10 seconds, and the link is in the show notes below. In return, we will happily send you some stickers. OGGN has launched a weekly newsletter called The Sunday Update. Subscribe to get oil and gas insights, behind-the-scenes look at OGGN, and coupon codes delivered to your inbox every Sunday. Also, I invite you to go to the OGGN website and take a look at the new merchandise that's available now. Maybe even pick up the oil and gas upstream t-shirt that reminds us that only the bit finds oil. Now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Sonia Clayton, President and CEO of Virtual Intelligence Providers. Sonia is also the founder and chairman of Global Energy Transition, a nonprofit that helps displaced energy professionals. Sonia, thank you so much for being with us today. Elena, thank you for the invitation. Oh, absolutely. Sonia, as I said, is the founder, president, and CEO of Virtual Intelligence Providers, which is a multi-million dollar consulting firm serving the largest oil and gas operators in the world. She's an international keynote speaker, including speaking at the United Nations Energy Forum in 2022. She has served on numerous boards, including the BYU Marriott School of Business Information Systems Board, Boy Scouts of America Board of Directors, the FBI InfraGuard Board, the Stanford Technology Research Project, and Lone Star College University Park Citizens Board. She has won over 30 awards of excellence, including state and White House recognition. She holds a double BS in business administration and business management and is a graduate of the Stanford Latino Entrepreneur Program from the Stanford School of Business, and is a Harvard Business School certified negotiator. She speaks four different languages and has has visited and conducted business in over 70 countries. Wow, Sonia, we are most honored to have you on our show today. Thank you so much, Elena. Absolutely. So, Sonia, your story, um, you and I know each other, and, and we've talked many times. I think your, our audience, our listeners, would be very interested in how did you get started with all, all of these wonderful accomplishments? Yeah. Like, you know, where did you start? Well, I have to say that my starting point wasn't as uh, glamorous as the end of my career. I was born in Colombia during the narco guerrilla movement. This is when the Colombians um, actually fought for to, to retain their democracy. 
Uh, at that point, the the Cuban guerrillas and uh, the, the Colombian guerrillas and the socialist uh, influence from Cuba was actually causing Colombia a tremendous turmoil. It was a lot of political unrest and violence. So when I was eight years old, my my mother actually decided that she was going to come back to her native country. My dad had abandoned my home when I was 18 months old. So I grew up without a father, and um, my hero was my mother. And so when I was 11, when I turned 11, we were granted the citizen, the residentship to enter Venezuela. So I came into Venezuela as a young little girl. Um my first recollection of the American flag is actually on the shoulder of an American soldier. And uh, that's because I used to line up uh, in a place where we would just go collect food. And so my, they would give you a little bowl of rice or a little bowl of sugar or a little bowl of uh, powdered milk. America was very aware of what was happening in, in Latin America, especially in Colombia at that time. They would fly uh, big airplanes into Panama and then they will dispatch helicopters into the towns that were attacked by the guerrillas. The guerrillas wow. would come into the town and, and basically ransack the small stores. They depleted pharmacies from medicine and they will actually try to contaminate the water. So it was crazy. And uh, at that point, we just, my mom decided that it was time to leave Colombia. So I entered Venezuela basically as a war refugee. And I grew up in Venezuela with my mom. Um, in both countries, I was fortunate to see the goodness of America, the influence of America everywhere I went. In Colombia, I saw missionaries, I saw soldiers, I saw people trying to do good, Red, Red Cross workers trying to take care of people, uh, reporters uh, reporting on the situation. But I also saw the goodness of America in Venezuela, and I could see that Venezuela was actually a, a great country at that point, a, an, an incredible oil-producing country uh, that it was run immensely by the influence of of Americans in the area. And uh, work wasn't uh, a need. Um, it was plenty of work. It was plenty of technical people that could run those plants and could run the exploration and production operation. We produce, in Venezuela, we produce very heavy oil. And it was only Americans who could manage it and could explore right. and extract and, and, and refine this oil. No one else could. Uh, and I believe until today, no one else can do it like Americans. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, if we don't have that heavy crew, they have to go find it. Yeah. Refineries need it. So when I was 20, 21 years old, I decided that it was getting too crazy for me in Venezuela, and I had to find the next bastion of freedom. And I came here with $50 in my pocket. So my claim to fame is that I came to America uh, with $50 in my pocket, and I couldn't speak English, and uh, I was able to build a multi-million dollar company in the U.S. And, and from there, I stemmed four different nonprofit organizations. Uh, so I, I have a nonprofit that is uh, dedicated to to education because I believe that as a little Latina girl, I was able to overcome so many challenges and break so many ceilings because I was I pursued education and I was always passionate about learning. So I have a nonprofit organization that benefits uh, women in education. And then um, I created a second one when I was affected by cancer in 2006. I created my cancer foundation, my uh, VIP in, uh, cancer foundation. And my son also deployed the same year. He went to um, the Navy and uh, he went immediately into war. And so I created the VIP Angel for Soldier Foundation. And it was just destined to help uh, soldiers returning from Afghanistan and Iraq at that point. 
Wow, yeah. And uh, my wow. last one is global energy transition. Uh, since uh, the beginning of 2020, we have experienced tremendous losses in the uh, oil and gas petrochemical industry. Uh, a lot of these individuals are professionals dedicated their lives to learning and being their very best so we could produce some of our very best oil and gas. And unfortunately, right now, they seem to be displaced. They seem to be all, all over the map uh, trying to find new forms of employment and new possibilities for um, learn, uh, earning their income. So in 2020, I was asked by one of my clients, I primarily serve my company as virtual intelligence providers, and we serve uh, mainly uh, oil and gas uh, companies or large corporations. Uh, we do SAP implementations, technical IT implementations, but with the process of implementation, we bring uh, the training, the, the business process reengineering, the transformational processes, and then we document and re engineer the processes and the, in the you know as the uh, system is predicting the future uh, we design those those new patterns of uh, IT engineering so, so excuse me Sona let me let me just uh interrupt you here for just a moment not all our audience are subject matter experts or, or even uh, oil and gas people they just drop in to learn a little bit so give us a little just the elevator speech if you will just a short uh, definition of uh, the products that you provide for the um, oil and gas sector or the contributions that you make to make energy possible Sure. So my contribution is all from the, um, or initially was all uh, from the information systems area. So I will go into an organization and I will look at the way they're doing processes. And initially I'll try to improve. So it's a business process improvement vision uh, that I will convey to the decision makers. And if they like the vision, then we will implement the vision. And what that meant is we will basically look at the current state of the organization, as we call today, the as is, uh, to the to be. So my job is to basically help them redesign uh, the to be. And so they explained to me, well, we're producing gas in this way, in this fashion, but, you know, we're bringing uh, a big or we need a big, large database to manage these particular processes. So I bring in SAP, which is the SAP systems that we work with, and they have so many modules. And so we implement initially the financial core of the organization is always finance. So we implement the first module and then we attach several modules to it. So it could be human resources, it could be sales and distribution, it could be uh, uh, sales um, uh, marketing, any other areas or aspects of the organization. So I define, the easiest way to define this is I implement like a central nervous system of the human body, the brain, and then all the different modules represent, you know, the arms, the legs, but all together is what make an organization run. So an organization, the largest organizations in the world run a system called SAP or Oracle is, is a definition of an enterprise resource planning system. And so they implement them and they normally go module by module. And then we do a, a final implementation and deployment. With that deployment, you have to uh, train the people. Uh, we have to install uh, resume, I'm sorry, uh, learning management systems. And then we have to install training that is allocated and customized to each particular role within the organization. So they learn how to use that system in order to produce the expected outcome. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, our our uh, subject matter experts in oil and gas in in this on this uh, podcast, the audience is uh, you know scientists, engineers, petroleum engineers, uh, geophysicists, geomechanicists. I mean, people who are in the subsurface arena, and we kind of take everything that the company does for for granted, if you will. And you're the one that helps the companies, or your company helps these companies do what they do in order to make it possible for us to have the energy that we need. So we help them organize the their data. Is what you know. Yeah. They manage so much data that is necessary yes. to have a huge, massive uh, data uh, central database, and that's SAP or Oracle. Yeah, yeah, and that's so subsurface data can already uh, blow up a lot of uh, storage systems, if you will, exactly. and we need that data, analyze it. Um, and so here you take on all of the data, that data, the, na- the data from natural systems, as well as all of the operational type data systems. And so, Correct. wow. You know, I we've talked a lot and I, I had no idea just how important it, your work is to make us be able to just turn the lights on or drive our cars or, you know, take care of our families. Uh, all right. Food and light. That's that's great. Well, um, so you have four nonprofits. So tell us about the GET, which is the Global Energy Transition for Displaced any prof- Energy Professionals. That's kind of a special group. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about that? Sure. So at the end of 2019, I was invited by one of the big, large operators of oil and gas in the world, and um, I've been a vendor to them, and they indicated that they needed, they probably want to need help transitioning some people into uh, other jobs, and so I automatically assumed that it was going to be maybe a 50 people layoff. Well, lo and behold, an announcement came through in January that it was more like 17,000 people, and so... As and that's a, not unusual for an oil company right. when our price goes up and down right. historically. So, yeah. Right. Ahead. So I decided that I was going to help as many as I could. And I thought that I was just going to be you know, receiving some few resumes here and there. No, it was impressive. It was, uh, I think, the first batch of resumes I received was over 500 people. Wow. So I knew it was a, it was a different movement. It was not the typical layoff transition that you see, but it was different. And so how'd you tackle that or what, what comes next? Well, I uh, decided to engage all the training, I'm sorry, all the uh, staffing and recruiting resources within VIP and enable them to just help them find jobs. And I was I started circulating resumes everywhere I could, giving them to my friends, my other organizations, other partner groups, other clients, asking, hey, can you hire this individual? And and so that's how we started. It's just kind of like helping out. And then people will see what I was doing and they will go, oh, well, let me join. Let me help you. Right. And so Absolutely. I realized at that moment that it's a lot of good heart. There are a lot of good hearts in, in, in America. And it brought memories to my, you know, my childhood. And the goodness of America at all times, uh, the willingness of them to help out another individual, uh, to extend a hand, to give, and not just hold what they have, but to share what they have. And it was amazing. Uh, I, I was dealing with my mom, who was aging and was ailing as well. And, um, you know, I I felt that it was just probably a time to start slowing down in my own industry, my own business. And maybe I would just do some philanthropic stuff. And so I didn't have an idea how big it was going to get or how uh, many 
individuals were willing to put hands into this, but it turned out to be a beautiful thing. And as you know, Elena, uh, we, we get together often. We help a lot of people. Um, we collect money for them. We do fundraising. Uh, right now we're conducting a fundraising uh, that is going to take off in October the 27th. And uh, we, we even created an award recognizing companies that have hired the most people in transition. So they will be yeah. recognized. Hopefully you can join us, Elena. Elena, uh, come and be with us October 27th. Yeah, yeah. Well, and in terms of full disclosure, I am a, on the advisory board for um, Global Energy Transition, and we do talk a lot. And I'm um, honored to be, you know, part of that organization. It's just, um, it's just fascinating. And what's really um, exceptional is the passion that that everyone on the uh, group, the board, has. Um, inspired by your passion, your passion for, um, you know, for bringing uh, another part to the story. I mean, oil and gas is a special place and oil and gas, you know, workers, uh, the field workers, the professionals is, you know, these are special people because the oil and gas sector is not well regarded in some circles. I mean, we love it here on oil and gas um, upstream, you know, podcast and and an uh, oil and gas global network, but not everyone does. And and this is a real important. This is really important that because without these people, uh, we would not be able to um, move forward. And and you've done some work with respect to the transition, finding uh, uh, positions possibly outside of the oil and gas sector. Of course. Tell us a little bit about that piece of the story? Well, when the decline began in 2020 and, and we started uh, first quarter of 2020, we, we perceived a pretty large curb uh, downturn. And uh, at that point, we we knew that we had to do something besides the, the oil and gas sector. We had to focus on something else. And uh, what that meant is we, we had to look into manufacturing uh, about uh, uh, biochemistries, uh, minerals. We also had to look into industries like education, uh, public sector. Even we we have transitioned people into medical, so which is a very hard transition to do. We only transition one, and it, it has it has been quite the interesting trans transition uh, because that's one sector that basically believes that even if you are a PhD in your own field of geology you cannot be smart enough to learn their medical terms. And so it's a lot of resistance. It's a lot of management that is that needs to be done there. Yeah, Change yeah. management. Well, well, you know, oil and gas is about organic chemistry, and that's what, you know, the body is about, and biochemistry, which are all the microbes and all of the different sectors, subsurface, right? water, you know, soil, mm -hmm. and, and air. So I, I, you know, I would challenge that. But what about all of the... Belief. It's a cultural belief. Yeah, well, that's fair, too. I mean, we want our doctors to have a lot of confidence, yeah. right? We want them to be um, able to, you know, yeah. think, about, think about that as well. So, um, but we understood from this energy transition that there were going to be a lot of high-paying jobs in yes. non-fossil-related organizations. And so did you find that to be true? Well, when I started uh, being at the crossroads of renewable energy being pushed so heavily by the government and also um, the old-fashioned oil and gas industry uh, being dismantled in a way, 
I decided that it was going to be a simple process. Okay, I am hearing uh, the president of the country saying, okay, this is going to be so easy because we have millions and millions of jobs and renewables and it's just going to be, you know, take from Peter and pay Paul. And I thought that is going to be fun. I got all these resumes here. Uh, Let me go to Paul. And when I went to Paul, it was no Paul. (laughs) I I realized that it was a lot of little enterprises beginning, very early stage, very young entrepreneurs uh, trying to dig their heels into the renewable world. But the reality was that they were too young to even sustain themselves and even less to hire a professional that came from the oil and gas industry a PhD geologist with 12, 30 years of, 12 years of experience is making 200K at least, right? So how, how is the renewable energy going to pay him an equivalent salary? That was the challenge number one. But the other challenge was actually more intellectual. It was how this individual going, is going to transition into an energy uh, organization that does not appreciate his education in subsurface and subsea. So everything that happens in, in wind and solar, for example, is above surface. And so their education was going to be completely voided. Yeah, some management skills, other, other experiences were transferable, but not 100% transferable. And the challenge remained intellectual. How do I offer? And, and I did get a lot of jobs. You know, there were companies telling me, yeah, I need a guy to move a, a, a wind blade uh, to, you know, from Corpus Christi to Dallas, $60 an hour, 120K a year. Contractor, by the way, nothing permanent because everything was, is and remains unpredictable in the, in the, in this type of industry, in the renewables type of energy. So there were, those were the very first challenges is how do I take academic credentials and create a, an equivalency into this transition? How do I take intellectual knowledge and capacity into this type of work? How do I take the the experiences that this individual has uh, learned through for the last 12, 15 years and now transplant that knowledge or transfer this knowledge into uh, an above surface experience? So a lot of challenges. Yeah, yeah. And are the challenges uh, alleviated somewhat? Or well, I, I, I know they're not solved, but I mean, is it a little better? Um, here we are, you know, 2023, well, we've got the BIL, we've got the IRA, we've got the XYZ. Or, yeah, we've got a lot of money. Yeah. And the way that the policy was written was written in political convenient terms. They mm-hmm. They basically, uh, the IRA, for example, uh, is designed in a way that only benefits certain minorities, certain groups, uh, certain organizations. But this group is very specific uh, because we're wor- we're working with individuals that are not are not uneducated. They are not dislocated off from work because their industry completely disappeared. Uh, they are. Individuals in transition that have masters and PhDs, and last year they had an income of over 200k. So guess what? You don't qualify for any government aid. The way that the policies are written, and that's why we need advocacy and legislation, is if you make good money, 
you don't qualify for any type of government aid. So if your income shows 200K last year, good luck to you, right? So there is no money for upskilling for you. There is no money for transitioning um, a month or two. There is, there, there are not any type of benefits for you because you happen to come from the oil and gas industry. Oh, and by the way, you most of these individuals are white. They're not Hispanics. They're not blacks. They're not minorities. The traditional oil and gas industry has a lot of white people in it. So that doesn't go in your favor either. Oh, my goodness. So transition is going to be mm-hmm. fairly bumpy uh, if, in fact, um, we want to move from, well, actually, the the cry right now is to eliminate yeah. oil and gas completely and gold, but I, I'm not sure that's a transition, right? That's yeah. that's something else. Uh, so it's going to be uh, in, interesting as we move forward Um because these um, these are the peop- yeah. these are the leaders of I mean they're mid managers and they're the leaders yeah. the future leaders of energy energy is especially right. a special sector it's got subdivisions right but it, energy is a different kind so of it, commodity it's fundamental correct. to and our I economy and I feel that what the this, the area that is being managed is actually the leadership we have a lot of benefits for riggers and mat room workers and anybody who comes from the hands on feel on the blue collar side, millions and millions of dollars are there. And by the way, they don't seem to find a way to spend it. And I wonder why, (laughs) but it's like we are building a man with one arm because the other side, which is the leadership side is completely being ignored. And I wonder what's going to happen with that. Who's going to lead these crews? They can be trained and retrained, upskill as much as they want to. But if there is no leadership in there, we're not going anywhere. Oh my goodness! Well, tell us about the um, the um, fundraiser that you have sure. planned, and um, go ahead and invite people. We we have uh, a few minutes left. Um, I I thinking you might want to sure. end on that. Having note, fun so. now that um, we have no government money or no grants uh, or no right to any grants, uh, we have changed our tactics about fundraising, and we decided that the best thing we can do is create our own events, maybe create our own podcast, maybe create our own um, uh, talk shows in universities and in, in venues that will open up to us, um, trade shows. And right now, we're starting on October 27th with an awards event. It's a charity and awards ceremony. We intend to recognize the heroes of the community during this transition. And so you will meet the companies that hire the most people in transition and also the companies that put forth the effort not only to hire, but to manage a knowledge transfer process and transition process. Some of the organizations, for example, I, I work with Microsoft and at one point or another, they agree that they will give maybe a, a two-week unpaid introduction to people to see if this is for them. And so they, you know, agree to give them a lexicon of words and a number of um, concepts and technology to research, but yet then they can also be learning as they get introduced to who their organization is what they do, what lingo they use. So uh, several of them went in that direction. They went into technology. And I know Intel Corporation did something similar. So 
the point here is if a, if we're going in a transition through a transition process like this, we need the community outbound together to help these these people. For many years, these people brought prosperity and progress and uh, to our communities, and so we cannot just sit here and ignore the situation. We need to be with them. We need to bound together with them. We need to stand united with them and find them opportunities. And I and kudos to the organizations that are willing to open up their doors and help us upskill these people or retrain these people. Yeah, absolutely. Have- absolutely. <clears throat> well, we do have a few more minutes. If you have something sure. else you want to share with us, you're just so fascinated to talk to. Talk to. We're okay. going to have to get an update here in, in you know, six sure. months, nine months, a year to tell well, us how it's going. Um, we are actually being very successful at uh, bringing uh, as part of our circle, our inner circle uh, education institutions. So we have a great partnership with the University of Houston now. We have a great partnership with um, Penn State University. He, they, you saw him today. They were at the meeting today. Uh, they're an Ivy League school. We also have a Stanford, uh, who's line up, li- they line up with us from day one. Uh, we also we're in conversations with Harvard University. So we are dealing with a lot of very good educational institutions that are willing to put forth their effort to to help uh, tr- uh, upskill and reskill some of these people. Also, um, on, on, on another highlight, I guess, today, uh, Sam Houston State University called me and they say, I heard about your organization. I want to be the, the training arm for the entrepreneurs, and we have budget, and we are willing to spend that budget on you guys. So a lot of good things are happening. The community is becoming more aware of who we are. This past week, we were interviewed by the Houston Business Journal, no, I'm sorry, by the Houston Chronicle. And, and they, they want our story. They, they want to know more about us. They want to see what we're doing. And, of course, as community, they want to probably be part of the, of the effort. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, that's, that's very exciting. And I think it's a, a wonderful story. I mean, we take energy for granted. And uh, but it, it's the uh, efforts of actual people like you and me who get out there every day and, and do the job. And if they didn't do this work, then we wouldn't okay. have what we have. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We've we heard the adage: um, if you can read, thank a teacher, and then the follow on that: if you can read at night, thank an energy <laughs> professional. I like that. Uh, and I think that's very real because if you can't get the education as you share, then you can't move up. And we have many, many people all over the world. Like seventy-five percent of the world's population are yeah. in energy poverty. They have yeah, just enough to get by and some have not at all. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a very, a very real situation. And, you know, we all want clean air, clean, clean water, and we can do there. It's a tap problem that we can um, tackle together. Um, but it is a transition. We have to be sure we don't leave anybody behind. So absolutely, this is a, a very important yeah. thing. And as I said earlier, energy is a very special commodity. It's, you know, just like oxygen is not just another, you know, element, chemical, right? It's, you know, you need it for special needs and energy is that way. It's the foundation it of our indeed. economy. So, well, this has been a great, great conversation. Sonia, thank you so much. We we so enjoy uh, have having you. My um, pleasure. Thank today. you for your time and your willingness to interview interviewers and learn more about global energy transition. Yeah.
Sonia, uh, Sonia Clayton of uh, Virtual Intelligence Providers and GET. Thank you so much for being our guest today and for sharing all about your contributions to oil and gas and to the energy professional. And uh, we thank you for being with us today and we thank everyone for listening to us. Please give us a review and tell us what you'd like and like to hear about on future podcasts. This is Elena Melkert, your host for Oil & Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.